Wait, wait, wait. Colin, as in, as in Colin Williams? You, you, <laughs> you married him? I introduced you! I think you gave up your vote on who I marry when you decided to break it off a week before the wedding. I think we both knew, Marianne, it wasn't gonna work. You didn't know that. Why didn't you ever talk to me about it? Because we never had an argument I won. It's not my fault if you can't keep up. I didn't want to hurt you. Oh, for the love of God. Shut the hell up! Didn't you ever wonder years ago why Ox stopped talking to you? Stop. He hated that you ran away. Did you two just stop? Yeah, Marion. Let's not let the kids see mom and dad fight. You're not my dad, okay? You bet I am, and I got news for you. You're gonna go back and finish school. Really? What happened if there's not a damn thing wrong with it, kid, and don't let anybody else tell you any different? You don't remember saying that? That was before I was your father. You're not my father! Oh, you should have yes, told he me about the father. kid, Marion. Uh -huh. I had a right to know. You vanished after that. I wrote? A year later, by then, Mike was born, and I was married. Why are you bothering to tell me now? Because I thought we were gonna die. Not yet. I don't understand. Why this legend of a city of gold? The Uber word for gold translates as treasure. But their treasure wasn't gold, it was knowledge. Knowledge was their treasure. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And uh, it's summer blockbuster season, baby. Yeah, it is. And they're reviving some long-running franchises with new installments in 2023, and we're watching the previous installment for one of them, Indiana <laughs> Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't know why that cracked me up. That was accurate, but yes. <laughs> it was very accurate, I think. But yeah, the, right now, as we speak, there Just is... Just this past weekend. Yeah, there is a new... Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, which we haven't seen because we're recording this before then. But, but by the time it's out, well, all of America collectively will have gone to the theater together holding Simultaneously. hands. Yeah. And, and we'll all watch it and hopefully so, enjoy it. So enjoy all of you listening. Enjoy living in the post Dial of Destiny world, the utopia that it's sure to bring about. And, and undoubtedly... As you're all walking out of the theater, this, this movie will be a distant memory. You'll pretend it didn't happen like we usually do when we've mentioned Indiana Jones <laughs> on the podcast before. Yep. But not this week. This week we're, we're reckon, reckoning with hard truths like the existence of this movie. Yeah. Um... It's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't know if we said that outright, but it is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And um, <clears throat> so two things from the top of the show I want to bring up. Uh, one, the heavy sigh that you laid before you start, hit record. Like, I feel like that should be part of the peak slot. Do -do 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 -do. <sighs> like, I feel like that's a better fit now. Yeah. Um, That and two... Uh, there's more dialogue than I remember in this movie. Yeah, there is. Because <laughs> I do, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you one quote from this movie until hearing those two audio clips, and now I still can't. 
Oh, I could have told you one quote, which is knowledge was their treasure. I definitely mm-hmm. could have told you that. But I didn't remember that he says it twice and less effectively the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um. Mm. I'm going to swing was- hard. I'm going to swing hard at the beginning, and I'm going to set the tone for the, everything to come. I love it. Is this Spielberg's worst movie? It is. No, I was, I was, yeah. that was literally a thought in my head. Is this Spielberg's worst movie? Um, and I think it might be. I think it, yeah, because you have the Jurassic World that he did. That's in the conversation. That's so that in the conversation. Awful. There's a movie that I haven't seen it because I was looking on Letterboxd. And I wanted to see what they rate because you can sort things by popularity of films. And so you can actually see like what Letterboxd thinks his worst movie is. And I will tell you that they think Crystal Skull is his second worst rated movie. But according to them, and I'm definitely not stalling for time as I pull it up. Because I already have it because obviously I knew I was going to talk about this. So it's it's sitting in front of me. We all know that. And, you know, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it right now. As I, think I that's could a good have, choice. I think you should definitely read it right now because you I, you showed demonstrated to me that you have it directly in front of you. I'm wait, yeah, I'm uh, showing you the phone. You're holding it up as <laughs> we speak. I can see that you have this information. So, so we in could front read it together if we wanted to. We both know we that that it's 1972's something evil. Mm, yeah. Yes. Classic. Bad Spielberg movie. So they rate that. I've never seen it. They give that a two I've point. I've never heard of it. Yeah, but that is. Uh, what they have as his uh, lowest film. Although, hold on. <laughs> now I'm realizing that's actually as an actor. So, you know what? <laughs> uh, let's see. See, because you had no, it No, he did direct just... it. He did okay. direct it. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I think I think this is... A young couple moves into a farmhouse in rural Pennsylvania... What they don't know is that there is an unseen presence in the house and that it wants to take possession of the wife. 1972. It's a movie that he made. Cool. It is not streaming anywhere. Good. Okay. But then number we two. We never need now. Number two. Crystal Skull. Is Crystal Skull, which has a 2.6 rating. That's better than half. Oh, no. You can do five on Letterboxd, right? Yeah. It's out of five. And that's the same ranking as something evil. So I don't know. Maybe if you really, maybe that's rounded. And if you mm. unround it, I don't know. But there you go. If you if you go out to multiple significant figures, you might find out. Uh, no, I I am inclined to agree that this is this is Spielberg's worst movie. I think and, it is. Um. So. Here, this I don't know that I have decided I was going to hate a movie more quickly than I decided I was going to hate this movie. When did you decide? This is an interesting question, I think, because and this is are you saying because you've seen it before? Obviously, we'd both seen it before, but like I saw it in the theater. Yeah, same. But yeah, are you saying this time or are you saying the original time? The original time. Okay, because I know for me the moment that I knew I wasn't going to like this movie, but I'm curious if you have me beat because it was pretty early in the movie. (laughs) Okay. I think I, I, 
I would be shocked if I don't have you beat. Okay. So I, I have to preface this story by saying that one of the things I read in the build up to the movie um, is that uh, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas at all were very concerned with doing as much practical effects as they could and keeping CGI to a minimum only where it's necessary. Right. The first shot of the film mm -hmm. uh, is the classic start to all of the Indiana Jones movies where the Paramount logo dissolves into an actual mountain, either in uh, the jungles of South America or the gong on the uh, at Club Obi-Wan or the Arches National Park, or in this case, a gopher mound with a CGI gopher. Mm hmm. Yep. And from that moment on, I'm like, ooh, I'm not going to like this movie. Yeah. So you do have me beat because I will say, too, that I I like the instinct. I agree with you that the gopher does not look great, but the instinct to make it a gopher mound, I found cheeky. OK, sure. And I, I was willing to forgive it. So I actually made it significantly further than you. Do you want to guess the moment that I knew I wasn't going to like this movie? Because it's an infamous one. I mean, is it nuking the fridge? It's when he climbed into a fridge. Yeah, like that was dumb and bad, and I'm not going to even try to defend it. Um, so I won't. Perfect. All right, I'm glad <laughs> we're glad we're because like I was trying, right? You know, I watched it, and I, again, I'm not uh, the CGI go for not great, but let's see. We're we're jumping into the action. We're setting it up. It, it's an interesting departure from the other ones that. They tend to have sort of a self-contained short film to start usually. But this one, it's the main story. We're just jumping into the action. We're we're hitting the ground running. Sure. Okay. Got some momentum. And then, yeah, he he climbs in that fridge. And a nuclear explosion goes off and the fridge flies through the air. And he climbs out of it, dusts himself off, and then just goes about his day. Yeah, that's not good. It's it that is bad. Um I know for a while they were trying to make Nuke the Fridge the cinematic equivalent of Jump the Shark. Yeah. And I'm here for it. Yeah, it's it's catchy, it's fun. Uh both things that could happen in a Spielberg movie, by the way. You could jump a shark in a Spielberg movie or you could nuke a fridge. It's fun. Yeah, uh, it's uh it's yeah. things that have happened in Spielberg adjacent properties for sure. Um yeah, this uh I will say, by the way, if you're Looking for further reading when I, I was looking at stuff for today, there is, you can find out there, someone did a scientific paper that they had peer reviewed of all of the ways that Indiana Jones would have died, uh, possibly from the explosion. That Because apparently George Lucas came out at some point well after the film came out and said in defending the decision to do the nuking the fridge that realistic, he said he had talked to scientists. And there was a 50-50 chance that Indiana Jones would have lived. And so someone uh, came along and actually did a scientific paper where they just list. And it's like broken down by category. It's a guy named uh, David uh, Scherner. He All did right, it. So Overthinkingit.com. No okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm no scientician, but let's see if I can guess some of the ways. Okay. All right, so he's in a lead-lined box. Mm -hmm. uh, 
lead does conduct heat. He could have been baked alive. That was one of the heat of the atomic weapons. Okay. Yeah. And I'll give you even a hint too, because it tells you, it breaks it down by the ways that he would die. There's ways mechanical. Then there are uh, ways thermal. And I think there's, uh, and then ways aerodynamic. So there's three sections of ways that he could have died. So let me try to get one for each. So mechanical, uh, suffocation. Yeah, that was that it's was definitely in there. Enough. I'm going to call that a mechanical one. Uh, and then aerodynamic, uh, the sheer velocity that he must have been launched at and the sudden stop uh, would have been catastrophic to the human body. Yeah, it talks about whiplash could have snapped his neck. Um, yeah, that uh, also, by the way, for because you said suffocation, there's suffocation conventional and less than conventional <laughs> uh, that it talks about because it talks about the uh the fireball that would form after that would suck all the action uh that would yeah okay so that's that the would, less uh, than conventional use up but all the, the oxygen that makes, yeah that makes so there's actually two different ways it lists suffocation and yeah it talks about whiplash like snapping his neck and just also just i mean it, like literally this person calculated how fast that the fridge would be going you know he does some estimates and he owns up to the fact that he does estimates but of how close it was to the blast radius how fast it goes past that car that's trying to escape like it does all of that and talks about how yeah it would have because that's the thing i mean he's just in a metal box with no padding being launched through the air and the film does no favors in terms of how he lands no um i mean because there's like you could argue that in Temple of Doom, which we just recently watched for this podcast, that there's no way that a life raft is going to be remotely enough padding or wind resistance to help them survive that plane crash. Yeah. So. Yeah, it plays fast and loose in a lot of movies. Also, sorry, I forgot. There is a fourth section, and I think you touched on it, but that's the radioactive, like just all the radioactive ways he could have done. Yeah. 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 So I don't, I guess, did you say that? I don't remember if you. Got I, one. Let's pretend I did, and there's no way to know if I didn't. Great. But yeah, overthinkingit.com is where I got all that from. If people want to read for further reading, as we always do, our further reading suggestion. Yes. Uh, classic, uh, you know, but you don't have to take our word for it. Mm-hmm. The more you know. Um, yeah. So. Well, look, we'll, we'll admit it. The show is sponsored by Big LeVar Burton. It's finally time it, to admit it. I, I wish. <laughs> it's like, so anyways, it's time for our, one of our famous ad reads. Uh, so uh, are you having trouble deciding how to repair a Starship's engine core? I am. Well, maybe you should try Big LeVar Burton. Is he going to use his He's body? Gonna it. He's going <laughs> to fix it. His body to block it. Big LeVar it. Burton is going to fix it up. He's going to do it right. It's going to be good. That's great. Yeah. So Big LeVar Burton, go to BigLeVarBurton.com for all of your needs. Use promo code SLP for 20% off your first use of Big LeVar Burton. Uh, make sure you add that code at, at checkout. And, and tell them SLP sent you, which you will yes. with the code, but also just yeah, to anyone you meet. But tell them. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell them. Anytime Evan's like, hey, is that Big LeVar Burton on your house? Yes. SLP sent me. Yeah. Perfect. Uh all right, so quick plot synopsis, because mm -hmm. we have to do it. Yep. Indiana Jones is a college professor. Mm -hmm. There's a call to action, a call to adventure that sends him on 
a globe-trotting gallivanting trip that leads to revealing heretofore unknown truths about the ancient world. And he gets the girl and saves the day. Yeah. That is three of the four Indiana Jones movies plots. It is. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and I appreciate them not trying anything that new and different with the plot. I think that was probably a savvy move. Well, um, with the structure of with the, the plot. Structure. We're going to... Uh, I because okay, this is a good place because since you said this, yes, I think that's set up. Look, the the it's during the Cold War. They they find a crystal skull. As you heard in the opening clip, it, it's his son, and also the Marion Ravenwood is back, and that's their kid together. And yeah, they're trying to find this crystal skull, and it's Russians and whatever Kate Blanchett's accent is, is ends working together. Uh, <laughs> I believe that is the uh, Natasha Fatal slash Boris Badenoff accent. Yes. So so they're trying to get Crystal Skulls and Moose and Squirrel are uh, basically yes. what they're after. But uh, yeah, so that's the, the setup. But I, I didn't, something struck me and I think there's a lot of problems with this movie. And I don't even know if we have time to get into all of them in today's episode. But I think fundamentally, because you're right, like it has... The veneer of an Indiana Jones movie, but I think it makes a calculation that is very bad that makes the first hour of this movie such a drag to watch. And I'll tell you what it is. So I think the important thing is that Indiana Jones, when he has his call to adventure, is then partnered with someone who, for a various reason, annoys him. <laughs> like that's that's really the 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 secret sauce to this you know where obviously it's his dad in last crusade it's um you know kate capshaw and temple and of short round and short, love short round. he loves short round. they love each other so much him they and short round. each other so much it's kate capshaw in uh in that you know temple of doom and in raiders it's really his um the his i can't remember the guy's name but his partner that double crosses him that he keeps having to deal with the the guy that's aligned with the nazis that's the other um rival archaeologist in in raiders belloc belloc yeah i wouldn't say i like i don't think they're partners they're Belloc's well they keep the... they keep having to work together like it, well and it's marion it's marion that's it's marion in yeah because Belloc is the antagonist of that movie. Yeah, it, you're right. Belloc is the antagonist. So it's really Marion, like, just they hate each other because he he abandoned they her. they love each other. Exactly. But they drive each other crazy. And so that's the secret sauce is, like, Harrison Ford is at his best when he's a curmudgeonly old man. And He's been a great curmudgeonly old man even when he was a curmudgeonly young man. Yeah. And so... That's the secret is Indiana Jones is at his best when he absolutely despises the person next to him. And again, to get it locked down, it's Marion. And then it's uh, what is Kate Capshaw's name? Willie. Willie. And then it's his dad. In this movie, he's he has someone that they partner him with who is Mutt. Mutt Williams, his his, you know, as we find out, son. But here's the problem. Mutt Williams is cool. 
he's so cool, Daddy O. He wears leather jackets and he's he's the nineteen fifties. <laughs> he he dresses like Marlon Brando from uh I can't think of the movie. The Godfather. Yeah, that's it. Uh, no, Superman. sorry. Apocalypse Now. The horror. <laughs> the Island of Dr. Moreau. That's it. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they're trying to make him cool. So because they try to make him cool and because you can see the gears working that they want him to take over this franchise, like whether it's Spielberg or the studio, someone is salivating, believing that Shia LaBeouf is the, is is the, the secret recipe, the next Indiana Jones. And you can see it if you think that I'm reading too much into it. Literally, Indiana Jones hat, the wind catches it and it rolls up to his feet at the end of the movie as if to say, this is the mantle and we're passing it to you, which we all know obviously didn't happen for a myriad of reasons. <laughs> but that was the goal going into this movie is like, we're going to launch a new Indiana Jones and... And much like Tom Cruise did in the Mission Impossible movies when they brought in Jeremy Renner, no, you're not. (laughs) Not not today, friend. Um, So what I love is that the reason that uh, Shia LaBeouf did not take over the Indiana Jones franchise is not that he's by all accounts a shitty human being. Which he is. Which goes on record that he is. It's that... He couldn't do press and pretend he enjoyed this movie. Right. Yeah. That immediately he was talking about how bad it is, which he's not wrong, obviously. However, does not endear you to Steven Spielberg, you know, when you're openly shitting on his movie as you're supposed to be promoting it. Right. And even Harrison Ford said, I was like, kid, sometimes you got to sell a car. Yeah. Uh, which is what he's doing now, from what I understand, selling cars. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I love that Shia LaBeouf could not, like, he couldn't play ball. And he's like, no, this movie is trash. I hate it. Everyone and everyone should hate it. It's dumb and bad. But yeah, so that's, that to me, there's a lot of issues. But I think at its core, trying to make Mutt Williams cool and the new indiana jones meant that you now have two indiana joneses competing to do and they're doing the same function they're both doing the action scenes they're both saying the cool lines you know it's it's indiana jones needs one indiana jones right and you need a person who annoys him and you can see it because and that's why I, i picked the clip that i did at the beginning too as soon as marion shows up i'm not saying the movie gets good but it gets way more watchable oh yeah (laughs) the second karen allen's face appears on the screen because now we're into the dynamics that we want they're bickering she's really charming we're in good hands once she shows up but until she does that first hour and it is an hour before she shows up hour and four minutes in a two hour and ten minute movie yeah it drags so hard and apparently she's um, in the new one, which is a good sign, too. Yeah, that's a good sign. Uh, I love Karen Allen. She's, I think, value added. Uh, yeah. So I, I like Karen Allen. Um, Her, but She might not, come up not... again in that last five minutes when we talk about the Silver Lions. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so I don't know if I want to hold off on it or not. But... I think one of the areas that people were unfairly harsh about this movie and I, cause I ultimately don't think it matters 
like a lot of people hated that it was aliens. I I would be one of them. I, I that didn't bother me. Like it was dumb, but like well, you, you know what? I who cares. The first time I saw it, I hated that it was aliens. And then we rewatched it for this episode. It's the second time I've ever seen it, and I have to say, you know what? I still hated it. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I I'm I'm saying for me personally, it didn't bother me that it was aliens. But I, I'll tell you what. I hate that it's aliens. I do. I want that on the record. But I don't even think that's the problem with the ending. The ending's just bad. Oh, no. The ending's... No, no, no. That, I'm, I'm saying that the MacGuffin is related to aliens. Fine. Yeah. I, I nothing that choice. Like, the weird Rube Goldberg temple ending that's kind of ripping off Raiders and kind of ripping off Close Encounters and kind of ripping off Independence Day and... And just doing a bunch of dumb, bad, unoriginal stuff is 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 dumb and bad, and it it shouldn't exist. Yeah, I just, I mean, that's the thing is like, I don't know. Maybe there's a version of aliens that I would have been okay with, but I I do think fundamentally you kind of establish. I mean, you went through like the straight up formula, but I think one thing that is very consistent in the first three films is some sort of relic related to a bible story being real two out of three yeah yeah um or just an ancient relic being real you know i guess in temple of doom you know is just uh i don't know stones and ripping out hearts but it's like some sort of historical thing is real yeah and I mean, there've been a lot of like, like that show Ancient Aliens is all about the fact that the aliens were helping the Mayans. Like that's the whole show, right? So and I get, like, I get uh, some that tangent related stuff. Um, I'm saying like the way it was executed was poor. That they chose aliens, I'm nothing. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't like the idea. But then, I, when we get in that room and the skull flies up and attaches itself to the head and then that makes them all come back alive and then the room spins and then it is a oh, spaceship that's all awful yeah i just everything that happens from the second they walk into that room i just need to state clearly is bad and incoherent oh i i am 100 with you also uh, I, I i look i i find it fascinating we've talked so much about the fact, and I, I can never get sick of talking about it, of Harrison Ford showing up for Rise of Skywalker and reluctantly saying the lines written for him while wearing street clothes and holding the briefcase full of cash that they handed to him <laughs> before he would say the words. We've talked about that at length. The fact that that man earnestly delivers the line, knowledge was their treasure. And he's because, first of all, he's always loved Indiana Jones as much as he despises Star Wars. Those are equal amounts. Yeah, that on the best day, Harrison Ford begrudgingly tolerates the fact that Star Wars exists. But he loves being Indiana Jones. That is his dream role. Yeah. And and he's he was excited to come back. He would do it forever. He's excited to come back for Dial of Destiny. He will continue to do it forever and ever yes but i don't know how he said that line because it is a line that feels like it should be at the end of 
a movie for six-year-olds that's trying to teach them a heavy-handed lesson. About the value of education. Yeah, and it should be delivered by someone looking directly into the camera at the children. <laughs> it, it That was the last line of the Dora the Explorer movie. Yeah. Hey, Swiper, stop swiping. Knowledge is the treasure. Soy Dora. Yeah. Yeah. Um... No, I, I don't. It's amazing when you have affinity for a character, how much easier it is to do the, the thing. Yep. That's what we're really saying here. Yep. Um, no. But again, yeah, the last scene is an utter just chaotic nonsense mess. That, like, it, it, it's all bad. Um, all right, let's go to someone who is I think oftentimes a silver lining in most of the roles she plays, and we've already mentioned her, Kate Blanchett. Yep. What What is happening with her in this movie? Well, I, I already talked about her accent, so it would just be mean to keep bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, no, she... I love Kate Blanchett. I think she's a fantastic actress. Um, she... In a movie series that, like, has good villains all the way through, she is so, so bad. Well, she's, uh, there's no depth to her character whatsoever. She doesn't even get a good speech as to why. Like, I had that at the end when she is kind of staring at the, whatever's happening. I I don't understand the end, but she stays in. The end of Close Encounters is happening. Yeah, and she stays in the room while everyone else is fleeing and we don't even really kind of, I mean, it seems like it's bad what's happening to her, but it's also kind of inconclusive what actually like she, becomes of her. She may be getting murdered, but as uh, John Hurt establishes, these are extra dimensional beings, not aliens. Maybe she's just getting taken to the other dimension. She might have made the right choice and she's living her best life in the other dimension. And yeah, maybe they were all like, what happened to your friends? We were going to show them all we this stuff. We are going to party and have all the knowledge because that's our treasure. Yeah. <laughs> no, they literally, as soon as they go through, they just take her to a room full of gold and they're like, here's the treasure. It's gold. And she's like, oh, thanks. Ooh, I like gold. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I like, it's unclear. Like, I had that when she's staying in the room of, okay, I guess this is in character for her. I don't really know because I do, she doesn't have a character. I mean, at, at best, she's driven to find the things that she wants to find. I mean, that's just plot. That's not that's not really character development. <laughs> that's why I said at best. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's. It's uh, just like. Uh, this the whole like. Basically, once they get to. South America and get kidnapped by Irina Spalko at all. Like, all of it is bad. Like, the jungle chase scene is stupid. Like, with the monkeys and the swinging on the vines and the really fake-looking army ants. What and... are the army ants? I Everyone talks about the monkeys, and I remember the monkeys, but the army ants might be dumber. Because that's not how is... anything works. I think it is dumber. Yeah. 
Because the monkeys are silly, but they're monkeys. Monkeys do silly stuff. But these ants are able to consume all human flesh and bone in like two seconds, I guess. But then these ants selectively will not do that sometimes. The skull. Russian. Yeah. And the skull, I don't know, stopped them, I guess. Because it's magnetic and these ants have magnet locating abilities. Mm hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know. If those were how ants really behaved, Ant-Man would be a much more powerful superhero. <laughs> It'd be dark. I would love that, actually, <laughs> if there was a scene in an Ant-Man movie where we just saw Paul Rudd just being goofy and, you know, just he's just like, trying to... Get him, boys! Yeah, and they just devour oh, oh, the no. villain. Oh, like, God. Oh, God. <laughs> what have I done? Oh, oh God. <laughs> Not that. I didn't mean that. (laughs) I didn't want that at all. And then the rest of the movie is his PTSD for being just a gruesome murderer. And then everyone just be like his daughter and his ex-wife. Call the ants. Why don't you call the ants? And no, I can never call the ants. Never calling the ants again. (laughs) You must never call the ants. They do terrible things, the ants. That would be great. Um... Anyway, yeah, so, um, I mean, let's talk I about, like, I, there's one more, I, I want to talk about Ray Winstone. I don't know what else we need to talk about. We, we should talk about Ray Winstone because that one. I have something that's in the liminal space, but let's talk about Ray Winstone. Yeah, because this is not the liminal space. This no, is, no, no, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. And it's not even, I don't have, like, I like Ray Winstone as an actor, mm-hmm. but what is this character? What What is happening? What? How is he written? What's his deal? Why? Uh, to uh, make a statement that appeals only to our wrestling fan listeners, it feels like he was uh, written by Vince Russo or booked like the big show because he just <laughs> changes sides constantly. Yeah. Like, For and, no reason. Yeah. That he, I, I think he quadruple crosses by the end of the movie. And they call it out. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, because he, yeah, at one point he claims to be a double agent that he's working with Indy. And then when they get into the throne room, he double crosses him again. So he, he says like, I've been evil the whole time, but I, I found it really baffling. And I think this is a bigger problem too, which is why I wanted to talk about it of this Indiana Jones is not a good Indiana Jones. Like he's older and I understand that. And you should incorporate that, that maybe he's lost a step, but he's a kinder, gentler Indiana Jones in that this guy's double crossed you twice. And he, as they're all like his child and his, you know, love of his life are in this room waiting for him to be like, we got to get out of here. We're all going to die. He's taking all of his time to convince the guy who just turned on him again, who's could leave, who ran out of the room before them and is just filling his pockets with gold of like, no friend, come with me. Why? This is a dude who used to shoot people with swords because he didn't want to fair fight them is now just patiently like trying to save the guy who will screw him over five seconds after they walk out of this building. Yeah. This is a dude who had an adorable monkey friend die at his feet and not bat an eye. Yeah. 
Uh, mm. This is a dude who told Short Round that he loved him, and then we've never seen that guy again. No, never once. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Yeah, he's he's the ultimate just. I will even the whole thing with Marion. The reason that she hates him is he often, including in Raiders, will ditch her, leave her in peril, be terrible to her. And he loves her more than anyone. So this dude who's just like as soon as a shinier (laughs) villain comes along, I'm definitely jumping on their ship and selling you out. He keeps like why save him? I hated that so much. Yeah, it was so it was awful. Um yeah. So here's my bit of liminal space. Okay. Well, I I think we could talk about one John Hurt in the movie. I mean, I mean we we definitely should talk about John Hurt because also to be clear, and this is liminal space because of the use. This cast is stacked. Loaded. Yeah. <laughs> Just loaded. It has... We haven't even talked about Jim Broadbent, either, who's also in this movie. We haven't talked about Academy Award winner Jim Broadbent. (laughs) Who's also here. Who might out-Denim Elliot Denim Elliot in his four minutes of screen time. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, absolutely stat cast. Love John Hurt. John Hurt's one of the all-time greats. So... John Hurt's character is weird and... Because to set it up, if someone's listened to this far and you, you didn't rewatch the movie, first of all, good decision. You're a smart Thank person. You. Bless you, sir or madam. But but the deal with him, he's also like all of these characters always are. He's an old friend that, of Indiana Jones who they've been using him because the skull has a telekinetic ability to communicate with certain people. And he's been their guy conduit. that their conduit that they're using but he's done it too much and he's now lost his mind until the, like the last 45 seconds of the movie maybe because he gives the skull back but even that feels like i'm being generous towards yeah the you know the movie's logic so the reason i mentioned this in the liminal space and, and what makes no sense to me so the movie ends with uh indy and marion getting married mm-hmm um, and at the scene is, uh, John Hurt's character. Yep. How does he look more like John Hurt as a disheveled, psychically broken vagabond, for lack of a better word, than he does cleaned up and the way John Hurt actually looks like probably in real life at the end of the movie? Yeah. How does that look less like John Hurt than the way we see John Hurt through most of the movie? I, I don't have a good answer for you, but I think some of it might have to do with the lighting, which was really baffling, that it was overlit to a point that it almost looked like everyone was dead and in heaven for this wedding like it's just like the light was bleeding into the camera like it was overexposed i don't know why it gave it a very dreamy quality that i don't feel like it was intentional but made it seem like they They had died in the uh, wreckage of the temple (laughs) and they're just having a collective last uh vision of this wedding as they all die (laughs) as they're all crushed (laughs) and drowned that's probably what it was yeah that's it all tracks um i don't know that that's just what i wanted to say about i don't know like how he looked less like john hurt at the end of the movie than he I, did you're right though that's a good i'm glad you brought that up uh 
I also just real quick while we're in the liminal space, and then we're gonna be positive for these last five minutes. I was actually correct about that, so we're <laughs> rapidly yeah, no, running out of time. But uh, do you think they reference this movie at all in the new one? We haven't, like I said, it's out, but we haven't seen it yet. Do they? I they, hope so. There, well, because you, we know Mutt's not going to be in it. I don't know if they'll they'll name drop Mutt or not. <laughs> I want a picture of Mutt right next to Denim Elliott and Sean and uh, Henry Jones Senior. Like he's dead too. That's what I want. <laughs> and they just kind of hold it wistfully <laughs> and look at it. <laughs> no, they just tear it up. <laughs> that kid. Ugh. Um. All right. So in the last five minutes, Karen Allen. Uh, Karen Allen. Great. I love uh, Karen Allen so much. And like I said, the energy that she injects into the film when she shows up, which is criminally too late in the movie, but <sighs> she's great. Her. And Harrison Ford immediately have this like electric chemistry that they've always had. It's still there. Even the stuff again, I don't like Mutt Williams as a character at all. But when he was standing on their vehicle fencing Kate Blanchett and she was criticizing his form and she he was like, Mom, this isn't a competition. I liked that. Like that was yeah. good when she's just being a mom. When she, I forget what it was, but there's something that Harrison Ford says early on. She's mad at him. And then he says something, you know, like handsome and withering and grumpy, you know, <laughs> that that Harrison Ford says that Indy says. And she just has a smile on her face that is so like, yeah, that's my guy. I missed that. And it sells the entire relationship the way her face lights up at whatever it is that he says. She's great. And... She was missed from the previous two films, and I don't think they should have made Crystal Skull, but I think the instinct to put her in it was a great one, and it was great to see not just her, but Marion Ravenwood again. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the scene for me that I think felt the most like Indiana Jones, and this is a change to another, is I think that the car slash motorcycle chase through the town and through the university that felt like it that was the only bit of the movie that really felt like indiana jones action wise to me and i really enjoyed that bit yeah i think that's the shame is that because of all the things that we talked about what should be the big action scene the chase through the jungle because and i don't know why i think if it was just a straight action scene it would have been fun there was enough going on again with mutt like jumping back and forth on the various vehicles and the tussling for the skull. If there were no monkeys and no ants, I ants. actually think that scene would have worked. Cause I think them fencing on separate, uh, you know, duck boats or whatever, like all that could have worked. Even the, the driving the duck boat off the, the edge into the water is a good kind of ridiculous over the top. It's, it's, indie it's stunt. the right level of Indiana Jones ridiculousness. Yeah. I agree. And then all the waterfalls feel very Indiana Jones. Like we were saved. Oh, wait, we actually jumped into a bigger danger. That's very Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, Like a great one from uh, Last Crusade is when he's like, ha ha. I destroyed your gun. Oh, crap. My satchel is now attached to it and you're running into the cliff wall. Yeah. No, that stuff's great. But yeah, like, I agree with you that the, the scene that worked overall the best is the, the motorcycle chase. Um, The other scene, and like, this is, I think, a step backwards. But when they're like going through the tomb in Central America or wherever, 
that felt like it should have been the opening sequence. Yeah. Like a separate adventure unrelated to everything else they were doing. That, I wish they had done a separate thing. Yeah, that would have been fun. Um, but like that scene, like it didn't feel like Indiana Jones, but it was fun to watch. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I mean, it's and dude, Harry I think the only thing I love more than Harrison Ford loving being Indiana Jones is him hating being Han Solo. I do so love that say, more. <laughs> um <laughs> So, and I mean, I love Star Wars. Uh, we started this podcast watching Star Wars movies, uh, not by accident. Man, just. I love that Harrison Ford got to do indie again. Like he I, I think he enjoyed himself, whether or not anything else happened. And good for that, because I like Harrison. Ford. And he is still good. I mean, the movie does him dirty, which is why I have trouble saying that like Indiana Jones is a silver lining in this movie, which is a shame because he should be, but it, they don't give him enough fun stuff to do, but it is, he is Indiana Jones. Like he's still, that's the thing. Even when he's Han Solo and he doesn't want to do it, he's still great at it. But when he does this and I will say like, as much as all the things that I didn't like that first time the hat blows through the air and he picks it up and puts it on his head and the John Williams score hits that, it's nice. It works. It's nice to yeah. see him again. Also, should just wrap in John Williams score is always the silver lining. The Indiana the Indy Jones. March, one of my all time favorite. It's great. Uh, musical scores. It's, it's my, possibly my favorite theme of all. Yeah, it, it. I like it, too, because obviously John Williams is great at everything he does. But the, this theme is so specific that it could only work for Indiana Jones because it would feel too over the top for anything else but because indiana jones is supposed to feel like those old serials it feels over the top in a good way you know like just it if you try to do it for like a normal 80s movie it would feel very weird but for the what this is trying to evoke which is a timeless serial adventure feel it's great yeah yeah so those are the things those are the things. Don't watch this movie. Don't, uh, nope. And uh, we'll see you next week. And and if that sounds thin and it sounds like we didn't really do it, well, fuck you because knowledge is your treasure. Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's the podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We, we have, have to, to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peaksloft Network at peaksloft.com. <laughs> <laughs>